Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Always appreciate you making us a part of your day on the farm. And today we're going to talk about several different aspects of the world that could impact your farm. We're going to start with machinery price trends. We're going to talk to Andy Campbell from Tractor Zoom here in just a moment about what they're seeing on the ground and at auctions across the country. Before we get into segment two, our friend John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us. Of course, it's not Monday. It's a Wednesday. We're not going to be looking at the forecast for the week ahead. We're going to be digging in on what happens globally as La Nina continues its transition into El Nino. Before we get into segment three with Arlen Suderman, we're going to take a look at those numbers released yesterday from the USDA as their April World Agricultural Supply and Demand estimates uh, definitely got the market thinking Arlen will bring us up to speed on how they change from what the traders were anticipating. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's talk machinery. Andy Campbell joins us now. He is in charge of monitoring the trends, equipment trends there at Tractor Zoom. He's the industry analyst. And Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mike, thank you for having us on. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing on the ground. We're getting into springtime, planting, spraying, all of those needs for farmers are gearing up. And Andy, are we seeing that play out in auction results for equipment? We are. Yeah, we actually, you know, the past couple of years, the story has always been about supplies down, prices are astronomically up. And we're starting to see that market shift a little bit. And we're starting to see supply return, you know, to really all categories, just at different rates. And what this is doing, though, it's having an, a slight effect on price, probably not as much as all of us would like, uh, but it's affecting the prices differently across all the different categories. So you mentioned they're coming back at different rates. And Andy, I assume you're talking about manufacturing new equipment, pushing that onto the, uh, onto the, the market, right? Right. Yeah. So as manufacturers, you know, really with sub still tight supply chains, they're having to choose about what types of categories of equipment are really getting uh, pushed out the manufacturing door. And so we're seeing that kind of trickle down into what's being delivered to farmers. And then when farmers trade those back in at auction uh, or dealerships, then that affects the, the supply of everything else. So for instance, like combines, it became pretty evident that combines back in this fall, they were getting a lion's share of the attention. And so starting in August, we started to see the return of those at auction. And then soon after that, dealerships started to see more of the supply trickle up. And to the point now where supply of combines uh, is up about 25% year over year. Uh, and that's having a slight effect on prices. All right. So you are starting to see those combine sales pull back a little bit. Andy, is it a drop or is it just a, a stagnation from the climb? It, Right. It's definitely not a drop. Uh, it's a stagnation. And it, really, the stagnation is happening further down what we call the washout cycle, where it might be a, a two to three owner combine, that those values are really starting to, to plateau. Uh, your low hour, late model stuff, though, is still increasing, you know, to the point about 10 to 12 percent year over year. I'd say the one exception that we're seeing, and for any of your listeners who are looking at a class eight combine with slightly higher hours, that might be an opportunity for them to buy here, especially at dealerships. We're seeing a, a strong supply of Class 8 combines, especially if you're looking for those S780s. Uh, they, they might be a bit of a problem child for a lot of dealers across the country. Okay. All right. So we're seeing some opportunities there, Andy, as you look for the immediate future, growers who need to get into the field as the temps start to warm up, are we seeing planting tractors, planters, that type of item accelerated auction price-wise? Uh, yes. Yeah, we're still seeing it. it you, when you look at row crop tractors in general, especially the 300 horsepower that you're going to need to pull a lot of these planters across the Midwest, uh, you know, from a value standpoint, we're seeing at dealer about a 7.5 to 10% increase year over year. At auction, though, uh, we're seeing about a 16 to 20% increase still year over year. And, and I think largely that's attributed to the fact that these larger row crop tractors are still so versatile. They can do, you know, practically everything. They have to do everything. And the supply hasn't fully returned to those. We've only seen supply return about 10% year over year. So that market is still at a deficit uh, for what the, the farmers are demanding. 
Andy, on the combine front, you were talking about the manufacturers ramping back up. We did hear last year that John Deere was sold out of their 2023 combines. I'm wondering on the row crop side, even as they try to ramp up supply, are they going to keep it cranked back a little bit just to keep things tight out there on the in the countryside? You know, I, I know back in 12, 13, 14, when you look at any kind of American equipment manufacturers data, that there was a surge of production. And they really overproduced for the market, and then it created a bit of a hangover for dealers. Uh, and there was just too much supply of a lot of those models out there. I don't think they're going to make that same move again. And now, I, I still don't think, though, from an OEM standpoint, that from a, an equipment manufacturer standpoint, uh, that they have that choice because they're still fighting with a little bit of labor constraints, you know, some chip constraints, and uh, they. You know, they can't fully satisfy the demand that's out there in the market yet. So even if they wanted to oversupply, I don't know if they fully could. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure that they fully will. Uh, they've, they've experienced that before, and I don't think they're going to make that same mistake again. Yeah, that makes sense. Andy, as you think about the premium that we're seeing be delivered to these low-houred, well-maintained pieces of machinery at auction, that's got to be inspirational for growers looking to move stuff. Do you continue to see the number of machinery auctions accelerate in the country? Uh, accelerate over last year, yes. Uh, we're starting to see, you know, more pieces move. But at the same time, this isn't 18 and 19 and early parts of 20, where we saw a lot of retirements, auctions, and liquidations even, where people were getting out of the game. We're not seeing that now. And so you will have your estate auctions and when farmers have to change hands, and, and we'll still have that. But uh, we're seeing some good pieces move at auction. And, but I think it's really when farmers are being selective of where they can get the best price. Uh, and they're moving those things. So we're seeing good auction supply out there, uh, but not necessarily, you know, people aren't having to sell. And so when they don't have to sell, they, they won't necessarily do it. That's a really good point. And now I'm wondering, um, Andy, here is as you think about what's uh Shoot, I just lost my question. I apologize about that. I'm wondering about financing impacts. We've seen farmers paying mm -hmm. cash, a lot of equipment over the past two or three years. Andy, is that trend still in place or is financing and raising interest rates starting to clip off the top end of the market? I think the the interest rates are going to clip off the, the top end of the market. You know, now with financing, there's a lot of different types of options. And so farmers can be creative, especially after the profitability that we've had the last couple of years on the farm. Uh, you know, a, a lot of farmers might be uh, debt averse. Uh, and so if they can pay with cash from the profitability last year, they're going to. But, um, you know, I, I think the interest rates are going to clip the market. I don't necessarily think they're just going to clip the top end, though. Uh, I see it affecting people's purchase decisions all the way down to even buying a used, you know, $50,000 piece of equipment, depending on the size of the farmer. So I would expect that interest rate to really tamp down the entire market, not just the top end. Things to watch as this year goes on. Andy, of course, TractorZoom keeps track of all this. Where can our listeners go to keep up on the research you're doing and what's available? Yeah, what they really should do, uh, and we've seen a huge surge in this lately, especially as auctions, you know, finding those diamonds in the rough, finding those gems out there. People are going to TractorZoom.com to find that type of information and then doing equipment searches there. Absolutely. Equipment searches and price predictions all on TractorZoom.com. Andy Campbell, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. And folks, stay with us. We're going to talk about the difference between La Nina and El Nino with John Baranek when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. 
But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind to look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy, think biomass, think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the Monthly Grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Of all the issues that have impacted American agriculture over the past three years, one of the ones that has perhaps been the most impactful has been this long-running, three-year-long La Nina that led to global dryness, elevated heat, and crop challenges around the world. We saw that drive up overall prices as supply was cut at different places around the world. Well, now, as we head into 2023, we're seeing that three-year La Nina pattern fade. It's being replaced by an El Nino pattern. Our friend John Baranek, meteorologist at DTN Weather, has been updating us, keeping us in the loop on that transition week to week. But this today, we want to spend a little time what to expect as that transition happens and as we see the Pacific Ocean move more fully into a and El Nino. John Baranek joins us today. Mr. Baranek, really appreciate you taking the time to dig into this El Nino, La Nina issue with us a little bit. Well, absolutely, Mike. I mean, it's going to be an important weather factor uh, coming up. As you mentioned, we've been coming out of La Nina and, and kind of the, the mess that it's kind of made of, of weather really globally. Um, and now we're going to be headed towards the other side of that uh, with an El Nino. We didn't really get to talk about it on Monday, um, but, you know, the, things are kind of changing rather quickly here in the tropical Pacific Ocean. We're starting to see some really warm waters off the uh, coast of South America there, and all the cold water that had been uh, kind of situated over the Central Pacific is now kind of come back to where it should be for this time of year. But you know, there's, a, there's a good indication here that over the next few months, all that, uh, uh, you know, normal, normal temperature water is going to rise a little bit above where it should be, and that will trigger an El Nino. All right, John. And the temperatures in the water, that's what this all comes back to. La Nina, we've got the cold temperatures, El Nino, we've got the hot temperatures in the Pacific. How do meteorologists differentiate what's hot, what's cold, and what makes the water change? Yeah, so, I mean, really, it, you know, sea surface temperatures are the easiest way for us to really notice the change and notice the difference. 
Um, but there's, there's really a, a second part of that, and that has to do with the winds that kind of go uh, along the equator, too. During a La Nina, those winds are actually really strong, and it, it pushes that uh, the warm water off the coast of South America westward towards uh, Australia and Indonesia. But during an El Nino, those winds relax, and so instead of all that warm water being pushed westward, it kind of just stays about. And, uh, you know, we look really right there in the central Pacific to get a good idea of whether or not this is actually uh, taking place. So um, it's about from the international dateline, um, not quite to the uh, South American coast. And that's where we, we typically look. That's called the um, uh, El Nino uh, 3.4 region. There's really several regions we can look at. Um, and right now, if you look at kind of the one that's just, uh, right off the coast of South America, it would be already in El Nino status. Uh, those waters are very warm out there. It's only a, a one and a half degrees above normal, and that's in Celsius. And once you get over that um, half a degree mark is when we can uh, confidently say we're in El Nino. So uh, the, wa- the warm waters are there, and it's just, uh, it's just a matter of time before the rest of the region kind of uh, follows that trend as well. All right, John. So we've got the El Nino developing. It will be there shortly here for the rest of the, that broad region. What impacts is that going to have? You mentioned the winds that push that that uh, cold or warm air away. Now that those have dried and the warm air has come back or warm water has come back, does this lead to changes in the jet stream? That's the, that's really the main um, impact it uh, it really has. So you know you might be thinking why. Why does the atmosphere care that, you know, there's warm water in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? And really what it does is, um, you know, where that warm water is tends to produce more thunderstorms. So when that water was more towards the um, Australia side, we saw a lot of thunderstorms developing out there. Um, During El Nino, we'll see that more over the Central Pacific instead. And uh, that'll have a huge change in our jet stream because those thunderstorms really add a bunch of energy into the atmosphere. So instead of being over by Australia, they'll now be in the middle of the uh, Pacific, and that will um, really change the jet stream um, uh, in in two ways. For for one, it splits it into kind of two pieces. Usually during the wintertime, we end up with with one main jet stream. Um, And uh, I'm sorry, we we end up with two, but they, they usually kind of come together across the Pacific quite often. Um, but during El Nino, that kind of splits. So we see one jet stream kind of go across the southern U.S., northern Mexico, and another one stay up towards Canada. Um, so that's the first thing that it really does. Um, the, the second part is it really ties into um, which one of those dominates. So usually during the wintertime, uh, it's the polar jet that will dominate. And the reason why we get a whole bunch of uh, cold shots coming down from Canada and the Arctic but during El Nino, uh, what we see is that southern jet stream be the more dominant one. So um, uh, during the winter time too is is, is when it's uh, um, strongest the effect. Um, and uh, what we have seen over the past couple of winters, um, you know, this winter notwithstanding, it didn't really work out that way. Um, but uh, that that northern polar jet. Uh, will be the dominant one and uh, cause all the storm systems. The southern one doesn't really bring a whole lot of precipitation across the southern uh, areas of the country. Instead, now with El Nino, it's that southern one that will bring a much more uh, weather systems across the southern edge of the country. So kind of like, I mean, this, this past winter is actually more El Nino-like than it was than La Nina. We should see kind of a similar situation set up where we get a bunch of storm systems moving into California, moving across the southern uh, tier of the country, through the southeast, and then um, uh, on a regular occasion, they turn into nor'easters for the east coast. So we'll see a, a different uh, uh, weather pattern taking shape. John, with that being the case, those storms coming into California, like we've seen so far this winter, and then pushing across the south, does this mean maybe later this summer into the fall, as that southern jet stream heats up, we could see some real drought relief for the southern plains? Well, that's the hope. Um, you know, it all kind of depends on um, the timing on this. Now, models have been getting kind of aggressive lately on bringing that in a little bit earlier than uh, what we had seen kind of in the last couple of months. So, I mean, if we can get El Nino to really take hold and, and actually have a dominating influence here this summer, we could we could see some uh, improvement there for those southwestern plains areas. 
I don't want to get anybody's hopes up with that just yet because there's a lot of things that, that just might not occur with that. Um, and, you know, we've already dealt with a whole bunch of drought, so it's going to take a lot of precipitation to get through that. But I'm, I'm very optimistic um, about how this is going to set up for maybe not this year, but for, for next year. So uh, going through the winter season with the southern storm track um, should be more beneficial. Um, you know, this, this past one, you know, I, I mentioned that it was kind of an El Nino like pattern anyway, but um, this, this, this one would, would tend to have this, the storm centers kind of more towards Texas. And that, that really wraps in a whole bunch of, of uh, better precipitation on the north side of that across the Texas Panhandle, across um, western Kansas to really kind of get that going. What we saw this winter was more kind of developing out in Colorado. But um, yeah, I'm, it may not occur this year. Um, we may have to wait till next, but uh, there is some definite optimism on the horizon there. All right. That would be good news for those growers down there. Not soon enough to have the good news, I'm sure, for most of them. But, John, we're gearing up for the growing season here across the central part of the U.S. As this El Nino starts to accelerate, does this change much temperature-wise expectations, moisture expectations for the central Corn Belt? It might. So, I mean, if it develops sooner, El Nino really tends to favor warmer conditions across uh, the middle of the country. And... Um, but, you know, the, the effect is usually greatest in winter rather than in summer. And actually, when we've looked at, you know, some, several uh, El Ninos in the past, there's kind of a, um, it's either a, a hot summer or a cool summer. Um, I, you know, if this is developing a little bit sooner, we may be talking about a warmer summer than I was kind of thinking about earlier. So we'll just have to see how that uh, shakes out. But definitely by winter, uh, we should be talking about warmer conditions there. Uh, across the middle of the country that would be a shorter winter season most likely and also one with less snowpack so i know we've been uh, doing a good job of melting that off in the northern plains and canadian prairies here this week but uh, we might not have to worry about that for next year if this all uh, comes to fruition john looking ahead to next year brazil argentina in an el nino situation would their crops be poised to benefit they sure would so la nina is really a drain on their crop uh, conditions we've seen that over the last few years um, El Nino is exactly the opposite. So, you know, while it may be, you know, El Nino would be beneficial here in the U.S., it would also be beneficial down there. Um, what that does to crop prices and everything, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but, you know, it tends to be uh, wetter there in Argentina and southern Brazil. Um, the other thing that is a little bit interesting is that central Brazil may not be as beneficial as the rest of the continent. All right. Lots to watch there in South America as the weather continues to change around the world. Our thanks to meteorologist John Baranek with DTN Weather, who keeps track of these things and provides us weekly updates. John, we always appreciate your insight. And thanks for having me, Mike. Good to talk to you. You bet. And folks, stay with us. We're going to check in with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Sconex, AOA Returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Overall, a fairly quiet market day here on Wednesday. We see mixed activity in quartered soybeans. A couple of cents either side of unchanged. A little bit of spreading between old and new crop beans being seen. Bean meal up a bit. Bean oil under some pressure. 
while the wheat market's up moderately as the grain and oilseed trade reacting to the April WASD numbers we saw on Tuesday. Not really any changes, just a few minor adjustments in the report. Traders were caught off guard when there were no change to uh, stocks for cord and soybeans, domestic stocks for cord and soybeans. That was anticipated and didn't happen. Watching the weather as well here as we move forward, that's going to be the big key focus as we work through the next few weeks ahead. We really have firmed overnight as in quarter wheat, especially as the focus shifting back to the weather as well as troubles for the Ukraine grain initiative. No ships moved through the grain corridor Tuesday due to a dispute over inspection procedures. So we're watching that issue as well. Also today, watching the Inflation numbers and the Federal Reserve Consumer Price Index rose 0.1% month-on-month in March, down from 0.4% in February and below analyst expectations of 0.3%. CPI was up 5% year-on-year in March, down from 6% in February and below analyst expectations of 5.2%. We do see the stock market up slightly here as we work through our trade, with crude oil up a little over a dollar a barrel, uh, pushing above that $82 mark, pushing towards $83 a barrel. Meantime, in livestock trade, continued strength in cattle futures here, expecting higher cash activity again this week, possibly here today, while the hog market mixed to lower in the front months. Check of the markets here. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes. Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark porous and alive tom what does healthy soil look like you win understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too through lower input costs better yields and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot going on in the world of commodity markets. We saw 92 degrees yesterday in Pierce, South Dakota. We've got farmers itching to get corn in the ground, and we've got the USDA releasing a series, or excuse me, their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates yesterday, adding some confirmation to the grain here as they prepare to trade weather. Joining us for an update on yesterday's reports and a look out to the next couple of weeks in commodities trading is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today. It's good to be back with you, Mike, and it really feels like spring is in the air this time around, doesn't it? It does. It does. At least if you're uh, if you're south of North Dakota, I think it feels like spring is in the air. Still a little chilly up there across the Red River Valley. But Arlen, yesterday we saw the April USDA WASD report come out. Not a whole lot was anticipated by the trade. And in the corn side of the ledger, at least not much was provided from USDA, was it? No big switches, were there? It really wasn't. There, uh, the trade was disappointed that we didn't see a reduction in stocks for corn after the quarterly stocks report showed uh, about 70 million bushels fewer than what the trade had been expecting in that report. I don't think that was unusual. USDA, I think, will eventually need to increase feed usage. I thought that there was a chance that they might not do it yet in this report uh, with just 70 million. That may seem significant to us, but it, USDA sees it as a possibility of just being a, a sampling error, and they want to see how it comes out in the next stocks report, see whether they get confirmation of that before they make any notable changes. And so we'll wait and see from the June report. Other than that, no real surprises for the corn balance sheet. Uh, we did see a reduction in Argentine corn production. 
by another 3 million metric tons. We'll probably see another 1 to 2 million metric tons come off of that. That's good for U.S. exports because Argentina is a major competitor of ours on the global market. So that should help boost our corn exports in the last half of the year. Um, but uh, we're so far behind. That's probably one reason why USDA didn't cut U.S. exports is because it did see that opportunity for making up ground here in the months ahead. All right. Potentially grabbing some of that Argentine market share. Uh, Arlen, while we're thinking South America, of course, we're still watching Brazil, both that soybean crop, which continues to grow and the corn crop. I saw WASDI had Brazil at 125 million metric tons right in line with the ag attache down there. Does that jive with what Stonex is expecting out of Brazil? Now we're at 131.3 million metric tons, so we're 6.3 million metric tons larger than uh, what USDA is. And really, when you talk to those analysts who have lower estimates, who are kind of in that range where USDA is, he said, you ask them about why they're at those levels. They say, well, the crop went in late, so therefore it's vulnerable if the rainy season ends at a normal time or if we get a, a freeze in, in the southern part of the belt uh, through the winter because this is a winter corn crop. But we can't assume that that is the case. And our estimate is based on a a producer survey in the area in in Brazil and producers are seeing it as it is as the crop is and right now the weather is cooperating very well and we're seeing very good rains very good moisture we're not seeing any signs of the rainy season and it would normally be ending sometime in mid-April mid to late April we're not seeing any signs of that yet so it looks like we're going to have an extended rainy season and no signs of early winter weather that might cause a freeze so you have to assume for now until those threats appear that you're going to continue to have good weather and that's what we're using in our production estimates. Arlen, on the corn side of the balance sheet, are there any other issues either in the report or elsewhere that you're watching you think growers need to have on their radar? I think the other factor really comes down to what's happening in Ukraine. With uh, Ukraine, again, has been the fourth largest world exporter of corn, and so a major contributor and a major supplier for China. And uh, the grain initiative now looks to be in a little bit more doubt. Russia is probably throwing their biggest complaints to date about the grain initiative and actually halted inspections of ships moving through the grain corridor yesterday and suggesting, uh, making strong suggestions they may not extend the initiative. We normally think of wheat being affected, but corn's probably the crop that is being impacted to a greater extent right now. And grain moving to the west through uh, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, those countries are now starting to complain and starting to block that grain movement out of Ukraine. So we're dealing with the possibility here that we might see a sharp reduction in grain coming out of Ukraine, and that would include wheat and corn. And if that happens again, that would strengthen U.S. corn demand. Arlen, I'm glad you brought up the issue of those Eastern European countries complaining about the influx of Ukrainian grain. And I'm wondering if you've looked into how much grain is moved out of the Black Sea uh, via ships and how much is coming overland into Poland and Hungary and et cetera. Is it a substantial portion moving into Eastern Europe overland? It, it is, and I've got that data, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm, I'm reluctant to give a number and be wrong on it, but we've been tracking that very closely. Uh, it's a substantial amount of grain that's been moving, and the majority of it is corn followed by wheat that is uh, moving. Uh, we're generally seeing about 4 to 5 million metric tons of grain per month that is moving. Uh, out of Ukraine with roughly about half of that moving over water and the other half over land. So um, it's it's having a significant impact to being able to move that grain. If you shut that down, well, then that starts to tighten world supplies. It certainly does. Arlen, on the WASDI report in the wheat side of the ledger, of course, we did see carryout uh, increase by 30 million bushels. Given the concerns about the grain export corridor, do you think that could come to fruition? Well, 
certainly if the grain corridor tightens up, that further tightens up world supplies. And even making the assumption that the grain corridor continues, my domestic balance sheet and my global balance sheet for wheat both tighten in the year ahead. Now, the hard red spring balance sheet isn't as tight after yesterday because USDA probably understated the size of last year's crop, and that's what we're seeing reflected here um, in yesterday's adjustments. We saw a tightening of the hard red winter balance sheet and an expansion of the hard red spring wheat balance sheet and similar differences between a tightening of the soft red winter and uh, a broadening of the uh, Durham as well as white winter uh, white wheat overall. And so we have had that adjustment in, in movement. But as in a year ahead, I think we're looking at still trying to determine how many acres of spring wheat we're going to get in the ground in a timely manner. Um, and hard red winter wheat failures continue as the drought continues to intensify in the southern plains. Each week that goes by now, we're seeing more wheat zeroed out uh, because it becomes too late to recover from moisture should it start to happen. And in fact, there's no notable moisture in the forecast for the Southern Plains over the next two weeks, which is a critical time period for the development of it, the crop that is there. So we still see the wheat balance sheet tightening up. Um, is the market starting to recognize that? Perhaps. The funds are very short to soft red winter wheat in Chicago. That's oftentimes the leader. If they would happen to start focusing on this and start exiting those short positions, that could give us a more substantial rally if that were to happen. Will that happen? I don't know. But that's one of the things that we're watching, and you would certainly think from a fundamental standpoint that that should provide at least somewhat of a base underneath of this wheat market going forward. Yes, you'd think it would. Arlen, we've also been focused on the size of this Brazilian bean crop. Got another jump from the USDA, a million metric ton increase, 154 million metric tons of production out of Brazilian beans. Uh, Stonex, you guys still a little higher than that on final uh, bean number out of Brazil? Yeah, we are. We're at 157.68 million metric tons, so several million, about 3.7 million metric tons above USDA. Somewhere in that ballpark is where I expect we're going to end up um, with the crop. The yields in the center west district area have just been fantastic. The bulk of the crop now is harvested, is focused now on southern areas where we're getting yields in a little bit better than what was anticipated overall. So it's a good crop. It's interesting. We saw Argentine crop go down by 6 million metric tons yesterday, down to uh, uh, 27 million metric tons. That was a little bit farther what the trade expected, fairly close to where we were at on Argentina. But USDA accounted for that by simply cutting crush, global crush, by about 5 million metric tons. 1 million metric tons of that coming off of China, and that's understandable where crush demand has been very slow with problems there in China. But what about the other reductions? No real explanation for that or justification. Just a numerical way of USDA dealing with the loss of production in Argentina. I'm not sure that actually plays out. Looking longer term into the 23-24 marketing year, with this El Nino developing very rapidly in the equatorial Pacific, that does increase the odds that we'll see above trend corn and soybean yields this year. And so for my 23-24 balance sheets, I do see supply starting to grow in the year ahead, both domestically and globally, while wheat stocks tighten. So that's something to keep in mind in your marketing. Old crop supplies of corn and beans may be tight. New crop supplies look like they're going to be growing. And at some time, point, end users are going to start recognizing that, and the market's going to start reflecting that. I think that is a very prudent point to end on, folks. Watch these markets. When things move, they can move quickly. We've been speaking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex. And Arlen, as always, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to take a closer look at that North Dakota snow situation here on AOA. When we return, stay here. We'll be right back. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. 
In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind to look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy, think biomass. Think Think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the Monthly Grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol, called E15, is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st, unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. 
oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. If you have a chance to pull up a temperature map of the United States for today, you're going to see a lot of oranges and yellows across the central part of the U.S. We've got 70s, 80s, potentially 90-degree temps in the air for most folks across the Corn Belt here yet today this week. However, if you follow your eyes up the map, there is an intrusion of cold air blue on the map and it comes right down the red river valley stretches into south dakota and runs over to montana folks north dakota south dakota those are places that have been hit hard by winter in 2023 joining me next for an update from that geography is lance knutson he farms outside manville north dakota and he's the owner of the american ag network keeps me up to date on what's developing in north dakota and lance thanks so much for joining us today yeah thanks mike how are you doing today well, I'm not too bad. I'm a little warmer probably than you are up there in Grand Forks. Lance, give us an update. How deep is the snow there in your neck of the woods this time of year? Well, you know, it, it's probably deeper than it should be. You know, we've had below normal uh, temperatures. Um, and, you know, we've just got a lot of snow. You know, last fall we were dry. Well, we don't have to worry about any drought conditions this spring. You know, a good parts of North Dakota, we've just had a lot of snow. I think the number one thing that is on everybody's minds, though, is right now is flooding. And when are we going to get in the field up and down the Red River Valley and even west of us uh, along 94? Uh, there's a lot of snow out there, and um, we need some better temperatures to see things melt. And, you know, I tell you, um, it's going to be a late spring again. But, you know, we had a late spring last year, and we ended up having a great summer, and we had some pretty decent crops. Um, not everybody did. I know there's some folks that struggled, but uh, for the most part, we, we managed to have quite a good crop last year. Flooding, though, is the big issue in the valley right now, uh, and that's that's gonna that's gonna have a, you know cause a lot of acres to be planted fairly late, Mike. It certainly is, and we think about that geography up, and especially in that Red River Valley lands. You've got soybeans, you've got sugar beets, you've got spring wheat. All needs to go in the ground up there. How delayed is that spring wheat crop? Do you think going to be? Well, right now, you know, um, I don't want to say on average, but. You know, sugar beets and wheat, we'd sure like to get them in in, um, you know, early, late April, uh, you know, I mean, there's a rare occasion where it's mid-April, but late April, early May, we sure like to get those crops in the ground so we can, you know, get the tons on the sugar beets and, uh, you know, and then the wheat just get, um, you know, get it harvested at the right time. You know, that was one of the downfalls last year, Mike, our wheat crop, um, you know, we planted it late and then we harvested it late and it was hard to get harvested because we got into September and, it was a little hard to get it dried down uh, because of the wet, dewy mornings. So, you know, finally, I just had to keep taking wheat off at 14, 15, 16% moisture because we just couldn't let it. It was just probably never going to get dry. But the good part was, is I had a good crop. Well, that is always good. That helps take the sting out of a challenging harvest season. Lance, the other concern we've got with a compacted spring schedule is getting down all the crop inputs we need to get down. How long do you think, given the forecast, before guys can start getting into the field to do any work? Is it on the horizon at all up there? Well, you know, I, I can't speak for people in, uh, you know, probably west of 280, uh, 281 here. Um, but, you know, most of us in the eastern third of the state, I think we're going to be lucky to even turn any soil. Uh, unless you're maybe out on the sand ridge uh, west of me, you might turn some soil in this month. But I don't even see how it'll be a possibility for myself in the valley here to be in the field between too much snow and when exactly is it going to flood. We're definitely going to have some flooding. And I'll tell you, Mike, uh, it's... Um, uh, what we're concerned about is, is you know, um, you know, the fields can flood fine, but you know, it's what our buildings and things, and and do we have wheat in in bins and things? Are we going to have to get those things moved and and out of the flood zone? And uh, you know, so there's a lot of people probably wondering, what am I going to do? Because it, it's looking, it's going to definitely be a late spring, and the flooding is probably going to be substantial. It is going to cool off some, unfortunately. Uh, it is a good thing, though. We, we need the melt to be slow, and which will cause us to be in the field that much later. But um, if we get a huge warm-up, we are, we are just going to have flooding that won't, that won't be good for anybody. 
Absolutely. Certainly don't want that. And Lance, as you think, <laughs> delayed planting seasons can be frustrating for so many reasons, but weather is what weather is. Farmers deal with it and you overcome it. I'm curious, what else is keeping you up at night? Let's assume we get this crop in. What are some concerns you've got up there in your geography in particular? Do you think we need to be thinking about as we get into summer? Well, you know, the big thing for me right now, you know, is obviously most farmers' interest rates and also costs. Uh, you know what? What's gonna? Are we gonna have hundred dollar oil? Um, is that? Or what's the EPA gonna do next? What's our What's our government going to do next? What obstacle could they throw up next that is going to impact my daily life? Um, you know, our our costs are already high. Luckily, you know, fertilizer stabilized and even came back a little bit on price. But our inputs are so high this year, and the farmer has so much at risk and. You know, what, what challenges is this administration going to do next? I hate to get into politics, but it seems like every time they turn around, they, it's, it's another obstacle. You know, if they want to do something smart, they should support E15 e and get that done before it's too late. And, and uh, you know, um, $100 oil won't be good for the American farmer, the trucker. Um, you know, it's just going to raise the cost of doing business. Uh, you know, you can lock some of this stuff in, but you can't lock it in for you know, all summer or, you know what I mean? You can't, you can't always buy everything you need because, you know, you might not have the money or you just don't have the places to store it or things like that. Absolutely. You gotta, you gotta be willing to, to grab the things when they come. Lance, uh, before we let you go here on the show, as you look out, you've got weather concerns, you've got flooding concerns, you've got cost concerns. Are you optimistic to still be in agriculture here in 2023? Well, yeah, you know, Mike, uh, that's the one thing, you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist. I'm a farmer. I love farming. Uh, I, I think that all of us farmers, we wouldn't do this if uh, if we didn't feel this way. Uh, I know we complain some and, and we probably have more obstacles than anybody else in any other industry because we're dealing with Mother Nature and the government. And we have so many things that what what's going to happen that's out of our control. But it's just something I love to do, Mike. It's just a wonderful way of life. It sure is, Lance. We wish you the best of luck getting that crop in the ground here before it gets too late in the year. The same to all the rest of you listening today. We appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk tomorrow, and we're going to have an update from Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody, to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hardworking families are feeling pain at the gas pump. Fortunately, American-made ethanol provides some relief. Today, gas with 15% ethanol called E15 is the lowest price fuel available. But E15 will disappear on June 1st unless Washington acts now. Call your lawmakers today and call the White House at 202-456-1111. Tell them we need E15 this summer. We can't afford another price hike at the pump. Brought to you by the Renewable Fuels Association. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.